Welcome to the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast. I'm Teresa Wiedrich, Homeschool Life Coach at Capturing the Charmed Life. I'm dedicating this season of the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast to the overwhelmed homeschool mama, because you'd rather be clear, confident, and satisfied in your homeschool and life, not overwhelmed. This season is for you if you want to instill practices that are life-giving, that will fuel you to continue homeschooling and help you overcome the overwhelm. So if this is you, welcome Homeschool Mama. On today's episode, I get to introduce you to a very special lady, someone who is a veteran in the homeschool podcasting world. Today, I get to introduce you to Sarah McKenzie. Sarah is a homeschool mama of six, Read Aloud Revival podcast host, author of Read Aloud Family, Teaching from Rest, and the recently released A Little More Beautiful, The Story of a Garden, and creator of the boutique publishing company, Waxwing Books. Here's what Sarah believes, that you are the best person to help your kids learn and grow, and home is the best place to fall in love with books. If you want your kids to fall in love with books, and you want to fall in love with homeschooling, her podcast is for you. On this podcast episode, Sarah reminds us that we'd shed a lot of our anxiety and we'd have a lot more rest if we realized that our kids are not projects and they're not a recipe. They're much bigger than that and there's so much more at stake. I get to learn how her work at Read Aloud Revival podcast has helped fuel her joy in her homeschool, that our main goal is to always be fully present wherever we are at the time, whether we're with our kids or in our work. We get to learn how and why she created a publishing company, how you can talk about books with your kids that you haven't read, and how to discuss books with teenagers and not make them feel quizzed. She also encourages homeschool parents to make 10 minutes in the middle of the day to read for yourself so your kids can see that you're also reading, to start listening to read-alouds with your kids, audible read-alouds, and to make sure you always find something that is a page-turner. So without further ado, no wait, there is a further ado, and it's this. This lady is as sweet as she sounds on her podcast a lovely soul. And if there were a homeschool that would adopt me into her read-alouds, I might have a hard time pretending that I'm not 48, but I would definitely sit on her sofa listening to her read. So I bring you Sarah McKenzie. It is so fun to have you on here. This is a podcast creator and founder that I've been listening to for many years and apparently eight years, you said you've been podcasting. Yes, eight years over at Read Aloud Revival. And sometimes, by the way, you should all listen to the podcast, but for a reason that maybe Sarah hasn't heard before. She has a section of her podcast that is about kids sharing their stories and sharing the the stories they love or the books that they love and where they are in the world. And they're so adorable. That right there is a really good reason to have a podcast. But I say it could be a form of socialization for your kids, a social contact moment with other homeschoolers. Have you I heard like that it. I had never thought of it like that, but you're right. Yeah. I have done that. Even when my child was, or my youngest was 12, I said, let's listen to Sarah's podcast. And he's like, 
no, it doesn't like I'm good now. <laughs> okay, mom, I have friends. <laughs> All right. I will. I do hear from kids who say they get their best book recommendations from other kids who are telling about the books. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Built in book club kind of, although very, yeah, it's fun. So actually your book um, recommendations are solid. And one of your favorite books that you speak to is Miss Rumpheus or is Barbara Cooney's books. And those are some of my favorite books. And I discovered that you, I, yeah, it's right behind me as we speak. (laughs) And the reason is because you also love it and have even created your own book and publishing company now that is inspired by that book per se, or, or perhaps. Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, my new book is in some ways you could say like a love letter to Miss Rumpheus. Um, Miss Rumpheus is easily my very favorite yes. book. Um, and there are others that are high up there, but I think mm-hmm. if I if I had to pick one, I'd pick Miss Rumpheus. And there's a lot of different things to love about it. I love Barbara Cooney's illustrations, but I also love this idea that um, the grandfather at the beginning of the book is telling little Alice that she must do three things. She must, or no, she says that there's a couple things she wants to do when she's older. She wants to go to faraway places and she wants to live beside the sea. And this just sounds to me like, you know, whenever we're little or, or we have kids, they have dreams and we all, we all have these, like, when I grow up, I want to fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Right? But grandfather says, those are wonderful things. And you must do something to leave the world more beautiful. And it stays mm-hmm. with her and throughout the whole book. And even in the illustrations, she's always facing backward, which is unusual in a picture book. Like she's always remembering that voice of her grandfather. And I think that's um, really beautiful. That is really beautiful. I really like that as a message. Someone was telling me the other day, embarrassed that she was saying that she really loves picture books and those are her favorite books. And I was like, well, yeah, like, <laughs> of course. Me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They have beautiful illustrations. And even the nonfiction versions um, just encapsulate all concepts that you as an adult are going, wait, what's atomic theory? And if they put it into a storybook, then you're like, yeah. oh, I got it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. And the sophistication of the language in a picture book is actually really high. So one thing we don't always realize is that when publishers are putting together chapter books and novels for kids, they're expecting those books to be read by the kids themselves. And so they have to watch the complexity of language and the syntax and the vocabulary to kind of keep it all at a reading level that those blooming readers can read, which is great because that's what we need to do to become good readers. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to read things that we're capable of reading. But with picture books, there are no reading levels. So there are no um, restrictions on how complex the language can be or the vocabulary. So it ends up being that very often, not always, of course, but very often picture books are more sophisticated in their language, their literary value than a chapter book or a novel. Mm -hmm. So there's, I love that. And I love knowing that because then if we have kids who are really loving books that have pictures and picture books and just not really into chapter books or novels. I always remind myself there's nothing that a novel can give my kids that a picture book can't. So beautiful picture books for longer. Yeah. So I would love to hear uh, the origins of your publishing company, which is Waxwing, and you're about to launch your first book from that publishing company. I'd love to hear about your, the origins of that. And also how you as a homeschool mom of six, it's easy to say this, um, where do you find the time, of course, and also how you as a homeschool mom, because we identify so closely with that identity, Mm -hmm. how do you find your identity outside of homeschool mom and also in this realm of podcaster 
and publisher. But before I ask that question, will you introduce yourself to the listeners, assuming they don't know you already? Yes, I'd love to. Um, so I'm Sarah McKenzie. My husband, Andrew, and I have lived, uh, I've been married for 21 years. We live in um, Washington State, so in the Northwest. We have six kids. Our, we, we've homeschooled since the beginning. Um, so they've all been homeschooled all the way through. Our oldest is 20. So she just finished up her sophomore year at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. And our second just graduated from our homeschool this June, this summer. And so she's headed off to art school in Georgia in the fall. Um, and we've still got several at home. We've got a 17, a 10, and twin nines. And um, like Teresa said, I host the Read Aloud Revival podcast and online community, which is a place just dedicated to helping families connect through Read Alouds. Because we know that Reading Aloud is so critical to academic success, but it also forms these beautiful lasting relationships. And it's just downright fun and easy. And that's, I love it when something, I can't think of anything else actually that gives you quite the, um, like the power punch of a read aloud, but is also, you know, free. You can do it with a library card and only takes a few minutes. So I've become sort of a read aloud fanatic and audiobook fanatic. <laughs> I love that. And I remember hearing a story. I think I remember hearing a story about your husband saying, well, what are you going to write? Like, what are you going to speak about if you start a podcast? Will you <laughs> yeah. share that story? Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I thought, oh, it would be really fun to start a podcast. And this is about eight years ago. So there weren't a lot of homeschooling podcasts yet. There may have been a couple maybe. Um, but I really loved, I've always loved audiobooks and, and, and like, um, radio, you know, talk radio and that kind of thing. So I thought I, I really like these podcasts that I'm finding. And I thought, well, if I was going to start a podcast, I would love to talk about reading aloud. And my husband just said like, what are you going to say? Like, do it. <laughs> like, what more is there to say? And I thought, I don't really know, but I went to a coffee shop for a rare single hour to myself and started brainstorming and came up with all kinds of people I'd like to talk to and things I'd like to talk about and explore. And really the podcast kind of took on a life of its own. I think because people have the same experience I do, which is when we realize that reading aloud is so powerful and yeah. free and it's, uh, it's accessible to all of us. It's right. just really, it, it's really moving. So as far as finding time, as far as find, finding time to podcast and to work that has shifted over time. I, I really did start that podcast. If you do the math, I have a 10 year old, like our bottom three are 10 and twin nines. And I said, I started the podcast eight years ago. So that, yes, that really did happen. <laughs> I think that the re like looking back on it from my well-rested perspective now, <laughs> yes. to then I really think I needed something besides just homeschooling, not that, not that just homeschooling and changing diapers and feeding the babies wasn't fulfilling, but I knew I, I wanted something else to think about. I wanted yeah. like something else to care about too. Mm -hmm. And what I have found since then is that my work at read aloud revival really feeds my parenting and the other way around. Yes. And so I feel, you know, really alive and it's really fun for my, my older kids, especially my older daughters will, will, you know, point out how fun it was to watch. Like they really feel like the sky's the limit at this point. Cause they're like, we watched you homeschool half a dozen children while also, you know, being able to pursue something else. So it doesn't feel like an either or, which is fun. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It sounds like my story too, where I grew up wanting to be a mom. Yes. So the idea of doing something outside of mom yeah, it wasn't even in my mental space. Yeah. So, but then there's somewhere along the way, 
you know that you are something other than mom, but I have no idea what that is. And then you have to spend time nurturing that. And what do you do? Well, you do whatever you love to do. And you can actually create an entire business or an entire life outside of that. And just as you said, I experienced a fueling who I am in this role fuels who I am in this role. And not surprisingly, they also cross over. I'm interrupting this episode to invite you to connect with me. If you're struggling and not showing up in your homeschool as you'd like, I'll help you clarify what's not working and help you instill strategies while shifting your perspective so you can show up in your life, in your homeschool, authentically, purposefully, and confidently. I've been a mom for over 21 years, but not until my oldest daughter was about three did I begin to self-differentiate, become my own person. I began to build boundaries and be at ease, allowing me really become more me. The process has been pretty messy, as you can imagine. And though it was terribly uncomfortable, even scary at times, it certainly began a domino drop of my false identity and my false self. Let me explain. I had to own who I was and why I was here. I had to own how I was speaking to myself, how I spoke to others, and how I expected others to speak to me. And with a hell of a lot of work of the interior, I have come home to me. From that time on, I have been drawn to authenticity, freedom, and purpose. Boundaries and self-compassion have required me to assess my relationship with others, and most importantly, my relationship with myself. I want you to experience that authenticity, freedom, and expansion in your life too. So connect with me to explore whether life coaching is for you. Now back to the episode. There's this kind of idea of balance, and I'm sure you've talked about this before in your life. I don't like the word, but you go, girl. Well, yes, let's talk about that because I was, um, yeah. you know, that idea of like, when I think of balance, I can immediately see like someone walking on a tightrope, which is not really yeah. how I want to live my life, but walking uh-huh. on a tightrope, you know, if I fall too much to the left or to the right, everything is done. Like that sounds yes. terrible. So I do feel like what w- may be what we actually mean. Um, and correct if you think I'm wrong, or if you have other ideas here, I'd love to talk about that. But because I think what we might mean is just, I want to be present where I am and not feel like yeah. I'm supposed to be somewhere else, you know, exactly. like when I'm working, I want to feel like my, I'm supposed to be here so I can put my head, my, my mind into this. When I'm with my kids, I want to be all with my kids without being right. pulled. And that's sort of the nature of homeschooling, especially, but parenting in general and homeschooling, especially is that feeling of like, I think there's something else I'm supposed to be doing right now. Mm-hmm. And so there's like this unsettled feeling of being pulled in too many directions. Yes, so, absolutely. That a hundred percent, that presence, that is the point. Yeah. And also I think we can really go into what the culture says uh, for us as well in our culture, humans really be busy, be productive. That defines you as a human being. And I don't think that that is the intention. We're here for a reason and the reason should be doing something but not to the point where we're not here right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So saying the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And which means though, that sometimes I've heard people say, well, I want to be able to have this full-time job outside the home and also homeschool my kids. And it is my instinct to go, 
well. Yeah. Like I, I do fall into that trap of feeling like I need to have a like perfectly balanced back to that terrible word picture right now when actually there's a span of time. And, and so, yes, you can, the idea of like, can you have it all? Well, you can't have it all at once, but that's what I tell my toddlers all the time. I don't know why it's so hard to tell myself. (laughs) excellent I love that so one thing that though sorry like one thing that the um working with read a lot revival starting read a lot revival and then that becoming a job for me rather than um, a hobby that I I started it as and then launching this new publishing company is I feel like it's taught me what I actually was probably learning as a mother but wasn't paying attention to which is that almost everything's figure outable like you can actually figure out a lot of things you don't know how to do. So I feel like at every turn at Read a Lot Revival, I'm doing something where I'm like, well, I don't know how to do that, but I'm sure we can figure it out. I love that. It actually works out. You know, not all the time. We've had lots of, you know, things that haven't worked out quite as well, but I feel like it's made me more brave and it also mm-hmm. and that transfers over to motherhood too. And that I feel like so often in motherhood, I'm like, I don't know how to do this, whether it's moving into the teenage years or having young adults or sending a kid off to college or all these different things. That's like, I don't really know how to do this. And, but it's all, it's figure outable. Oh, I love that. And by the way, I have a homeschool mama book club and we just finished reading Marie Forleo's Everything is Figure Outable. Were you reading that as well? I have not <laughs> read it, but I've seen the title and I love it. And I've, that's the word that keeps that I keep reminding myself of. So maybe I should read it. It's a good word. And we homeschool mamas do know how to make things figure outable. We do. Yeah, yeah. we totally do. Beautiful. Absolutely. So that's the origins of your publishing company. When are you going to be releasing your book? Uh, so the first picture book uh, opens for pre-orders August 10th. And so here's the deal with this. we I have been writing for children for some time now. And mm-hmm. I had an agent who took it around to some New York publishers and just wasn't the right fit for what they were looking for. At the same time, I was also very aware that I have some <laughs> capital O opinions about what makes a beautiful book. And in the traditional publishing world, if an author writes a picture book and it's going to be published by Penguin, let's say, then once they've written the book and Penguin buys it, that's the end of the author's job. So now yep. the publisher, you know, finds the illustrator and they make all the creative decisions about what the book looks like without the author, which is totally fine. I'm not saying that's not a system that works. It's just not how I wanted to do it. Um, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, gosh, with all of our work at Read Aloud Revival, I have, I would love to be at the helm of the creative vision for this thing. So we decided to start Waxwing Books, which is our publishing imprint. And um, so the first, the first release is this picture book, a little more beautiful, the story of a garden, this love letter to Miss Rumpius. Um, I love that is- so much. I really do. I love that. It's such a natural extension of what you've been doing already. Thank you. It's been, you know what? My husband has been saying for a while, why don't you just do it yourself? But again, it was one of those things I thought, wait, what do you do? Just start a publishing company? Like how, who does that? <laughs> a homeschool mom? <laughs> yeah, I do know another homeschool mom that does that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly it. So, um, so the, yeah, the first book we're, we're opening parameters on Kickstarter because in, line with this whole idea of we don't know what we're doing we had no we have no idea how many books to print it's a there's a lot of questions up in the air and so we were kind of trying to just make guesses and we thought you know what why don't we just ask everybody who wants a copy in the first print run and then we can do our first print run so august 10th to september 1st is our kickstarter where do we Um, find that before i forget to ask you that where do we find you online for that yes go to a little more beautiful.com beautiful (laughs) 
<laughs> you say on the first page of your read aloud revival website that here's what I know. You are the best person to help your kids learn and grow. And home is the best place to fall in love with books. That has so been my reality and obviously mm. yours as well. Yeah. I love that. I really feel like, um, we have this tendency to doubt ourselves. I think mothers, especially we have a tendency yeah. like to doubt our gut instincts. And mm -hmm. I remember with like my oldest, Oh, uh, I wish I could go back and like whisper in my own ear, you know, like, it's okay. Just follow your gut. You don't have to follow yeah. that one baby book that says you need to yeah. do feeding or napping or whatever the thing was that I was so sure I was ruining her over, <laughs> um, all the way through parenthood. Mm -hmm. But what I do really feel like we have this opportunity as homeschooling parents, especially to do books differently with our kids. Um, most of us who went to school probably don't remember the books we had to write book reports on, or we had to give presentations on or write an essay on. We don't remember those fondly as like the books that we stayed up late reading in, in you know, in bed under the covers <laughs> of the flashlight. They're not the same thing, you know? And so in his book, the read aloud handbook, Jim Trelease talks about how every four-year-old on the face of the planet <laughs> loves being read to. That's just how it works. Mm -hmm. And then something happens by the time they're 14 so that the average high schooler in, in the U.S. anyway, the average high schooler is um, reading for six minutes a day for pleasure. So what happens in between here and the thing that happens and, and actually that six minutes a day for pleasure really means that some, because it's an average, a couple of kids are reading a ton, which we all know those bookworm kids, right? Yeah, I've got a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah, are not reading at all. And so what happens in between those years, and Jim truly says, school, I think we have opportunity as homeschooling parents to do it differently, to like give our kids a different experience with books mm -hmm. so that by the time they're high schoolers, they actually love reading more than they did when they were four. Yeah. Um, what would that look like if we did that? And that's that's why I feel like home is really truly the best place to fall in love with books. I do too. And when I was a kid, I was one of those kids not reading a lot, actually, until, uh, and my listeners know this, but until I was, ooh, I remember grade 11, we were supposed to read a book on Gandhi. And I was like, no. And then <laughs> where's the Coles Notes version? Then I'm like, no. Then I watched the movie. It's four hours. No. So I faked it. That was my approach to reading then. And so I've made up for lost time because as a homeschool mom, I like you, I fell in love with books, but those books became memories for me. So they're like moments in time with the kids. That is for sure the most exciting place in a homeschool is on the sofa with your kids reading a book. Yeah. Or for all the places for seven years, we traveled a lot. So for all the places we've lived or traveled, we have at least one book attached to that place. And I think about those books in association with those kids at that place. And that is one of the most, for me, like memorable aspects of homeschooling is each of the books that we read. You know, Recently, I asked my older kids what they what made the biggest impact on them in homeschooling. You know, what do you wish I had done more of or less of? And yeah. what are your favorite memories? And all three of my older kids named books. Like when I said, what yeah. are your favorite memories? They named the titles of books we read aloud. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Amazing. Yeah. That's, I would, that's what I would do too. So. Yeah. Uh, it You know, whether you're the learner or the teacher, they're just stories end up being this really 
powerful. You know, there's a couple of things that I think actually stories do that we don't even realize. One of them, especially as our kids get older and into the teen years, is that they put us on the same side of the fence, really. Um, there would be days when there would be squabbling or arguing um, over, well, normal sibling squabbles. And then there might be arguing over who didn't did or didn't do their chores or their math or somebody <laughs> who lost their spelling book or, you know, flooded the bathroom or whatever it was. Um but when we sat down to read the line, the witch in the wardrobe or something, uh, we yeah. were all rooting for the same characters. We were all like holding mm. our breath at the same time. So it's like it reminded us that we were all on each other's team yeah. in a way that I don't know we could have done quite slipped into that quite as effortlessly any other way. Ooh, I like that. I really like that. That's beautiful. There have only been, I, I remember recently listening to your podcast um, okay, not so recently. I actually lost my iPod. So it has been a while since I've been listening to other people's podcasts. <laughs> um, but I was listening to you speak about reading or pre-reading our kids' books. And now that I have four, so at this point, I'm way past, nope, I'm not pre-reading. <laughs> oh, yeah, kids, you can't keep up. <laughs> I cannot keep up. Um, you'd think that I would have made it all the way through the Harry Potter series by now, but I haven't. Um, my son, I found out yesterday, has read it through eight times. So uh, he is a fond lover. He says to me, he's 13. He says to me, you name a sentence and I can tell you which book. <laughs> like, Isn't really? that amazing? Like, yeah. my daughter, can my 18-year-old cannot believe I, I always get the order mixed up when I'm talking about them. Exactly. Like, I don't know. If you ask me which book something happened in, I, I would have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Ditto. And I know it's a beautiful book. I read the first one with my, my son and I was like, wow, it is amazing prose. The plot is really tight. Everything is like the characters are very well developed yeah. and it's just not my genre. Yeah. Did I say that out loud? Yes. Okay. I'm like maybe the only person out there, but, but he loves those books. Even my oldest daughter. Actually. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. So two of us. We've tried, but she's like, it's just not my thing. I just don't it's know. It's just not my thing. Yeah. 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 But at the same time, you know, when you're rereading something like that, there's some serious benefit. I've heard you speak about that on your podcast, but you also spoke about not the necessity to pre-read everything that your kids are reading. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are there for our Yeah, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. I think it comes from a couple of places. I think one question that we might be asking when we're worried about being able to read everything our kids are reading is we're worried about them encountering content we don't want them to encounter. So we can talk about mm -hmm. that. But then there's another piece we're worried about, which is how do I know how to talk about books with my kids if I haven't read them? So if we go up to the first one, as far as like... In to me, a book feels like a very safe way to encounter lots of things in the world, the good and the ugly. Yes. And a, do well a book can be a really good gateway into a conversation, a difficult conversation. Yeah. There's a lot of things that we know we should talk about and we want to talk with our kids about mm -hmm. theoretically, but we don't actually want to talk to them about, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or don't want to bring it up. And and reading a book can be a really good gateway. And the thing about voracious readers, if you, if you end up raising kids who read a lot, they will mm -hmm inevitably very likely read something that you think I don't know if they were ready for that yet right and so that is an opportunity that's an open door for you to walk through so now now you get to talk with them about and what a beautiful thing that they encountered it in a book and they're talking with you about it rather than in some other way in the real mm -hmm. life maybe um so I wouldn't I mean it, let me move on to the second piece so the second question is that I think kind of comes up is like, how am I supposed to talk to my kids or how do I know they're understanding it if I haven't read the book myself? Mm -hmm. And um, really 
when we think about what adult readers do, if you were to call me and say, hey, Sarah, I just read this book. Well, it's the one, um, everything is figure outable, right? That's what you said. <laughs> yep. Okay. So I just read this book. I think you'd love it. I am not going to start quizzing you on what happened and what were the main points. What were, <laughs> but we're, what were we exactly. top points? Um, <laughs> and you would actually think that was really strange if I did that, because this is not how adult readers <laughs> exactly. read books, right? But I might say, oh, what stuck out to you? Or like, what, what did you mm-hmm. love that? Why do you think I'd love it? Or mm-hmm. um, So we can have these kinds of conversations with our kids. Uh, base that are that look more like an adult adults who are readers talking mm-hmm. about books and I think yeah. these are actually better skills to give our kids because these are the ones that they'll actually use when they're adults reading right um, so well, about our kids are in our home until they're 18 or so or you know 20 depending yeah but they're that means most of the reading they do in their lives should happen after they leave our home so then we right. can focus instead on just helping them get the skills to be adult readers yeah. have these conversations. So if you, if you ask your child, you know, what surprised you about that book and they can start to, and you can, and they know you haven't read the book, but then now they know you're not quizzing them. You're really just having a conversation. This is exactly what I do with my friends who read a book that I haven't read yet. Perfect. Yeah. That's a really good way to, to frame that. Um, I'm curious what you would do to start a conversation with your child about a book you haven't read. Um, I know for myself, because I wasn't a huge reader, and I remember my English teacher in high school saying, listen, Teresa, I know who reads books, and I know who watches TV, and you should pick up a book. And that that was me. And I started reading, not because of her and what she said, but I did do a lot of reading after for my own motivation. And then when my oldest daughter was going through an English class, I had to relearn all the literary devices. So I actually created a post on my website about literary devices. To learn them, I used some pop culture devices or or pop culture references. So they could be things from Disney Channel. I didn't create this. I took this from YouTube. But, um, you know, from either the Disney Channel or Disney movies or from Taylor Swift, all sorts of influences to help understand that all those different literary devices that I didn't get in high school and then gave them to her. And then we'd have chats about them just like we did every time her and I, or my oldest and I would have these movie nights and we would talk about plot and character and, you know, all the different elements of a novel. But I'm curious, what would you do to maybe engage an eight-year-old or a 12-year-old who you haven't read the book before? So a couple of things come to mind listening to you talk. One is that um, I think our kids are really, if your kids are being read to and they're doing their own reading, they're actually very familiar with the literary devices. They just aren't familiar with what we call them. So if you ask a child who is been read to a lot and who's reading a lot, um, what alliteration is, and they say, I don't know. And you say, oh, it's when several words close together in a sentence start with the same sound, like Sally sneezes on her soup. (laughs) That's gross. Um, (laughs) Then instantly they know what that is and they could probably point it out the next time that they read it or they might you know if you're talking about um an illusion or some some other kind of literary yes. device and you explain what it is they might even be able to tell you what it was in the book that they read most recently yeah so it's mostly about the labeling of the literary devices that i think we're worried about and that does not take too much time so i don't worry too much about those labels of literary devices yeah um because again, like a, a college sophomore who's writing a paper, whose teacher says she wants her to use a certain kind of literary, you know, literary device. She can Google that and go, oh, I know what that is. Because uh-huh. it's, it's kind of like um, 
if you were in like swimming in a river and someone you don't know the name for water but someone describes water to you later you know what water is you were in the water you just didn't know that's what it was called right um what else did you say oh so one of the questions i would start with with let's say an eight-year-old who who's read a book that i haven't um there's two ways into this you can either ask a question or you can just start the conversation. I usually prefer to start a conversation because sometimes if you ask a question, it comes off like a quiz. So I might, a question could be something like, so I haven't read that one. Who was, who was a brave character in that book? And then they might say, um, let's just say if we're talking about the land, the witch, the wardrobe, they might say um, the fawn was brave and you can go, Oh, okay. Interesting. What did the fawn do? That was brave. And if the they can answer that, you know, you know, they, you know, they've read the book because they're having an intelligent conversation about it. Um, on the other hand, sometimes kids will sort of freeze up and give you, I don't knows or just get quiet. And in that case, I make a habit of starting to like, if we read something together, instead of asking who was the most courageous in this story or in this chapter, I will just say, do you know something that I think was really brave in this chapter? And then, you know, when Lucy, blah, 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 and they'll just, whatever it was, um, what do you think? And especially if you give examples to your kids that are not super deep, like we're not expecting them to be super profound. I think it removes some of the barrier of what does my mom want me to say? Yes, exactly. <laughs> what does the teacher want from me? Right. Yeah. Um, kind of removes that expectation. And it also helps them understand it helps us, I think, because really the benefit comes from asking questions. If we teach our kids to constantly ask questions as they read, then they will go into their adult life as really astute readers because that's what good readers do as they're reading. They ask questions. So whether or not they have a profound answer almost doesn't matter. The, the answer itself almost doesn't matter. It's just this habit of like when you're reading and encountering ideas, you're asking questions. That's where all the good juice is. That's where Yes, that's a, a great idea that reminds me of the Charlotte Mason approach to narration. Yeah. narration. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And really just sharing back what you think, but it's an amazing device also to really know your child and getting really deep into the psyche of your child, understanding how your child frames things. What does brave mean to them? You know, yeah. um, somebody had said to me once that the one thing that I see, she wasn't a homeschooler. What I see about your family is that, you know, your children very well. Now, I don't think that all my kids would say that I know them very well at certain points of maybe their adolescence. I don't think they would be thinking that that was the case. Um, but at the same time, you do, you have this opportunity to really dig deep into who they really are and connect with them because of books or because of discussions like that. Also, yeah, when I think you, it gives you a window into what they're thinking and experiencing exactly. in life. Yeah, yeah. And you also spoke about how sometimes our kids know that we're searching for something and they're like looking for something. And yeah. that has been my experience. I was talking to another homeschool mom today um, about de-schooling and talking about strewing and that unschooling concept of strewing, like just leaving stuff around. It could mean nothing. It's nothing profound, that, that concept of strewing, but leaving things around, hoping your children might be interested in them. And my 13-year-old my this year, when I brought home a bunch of stuff from the library, games and puzzles and stuff, he's like, nope, don't want it. <laughs> okay, all right. He's on to me. He knows that I brought 50 things from the library and not one of them was from the section I normally walk into. But... <laughs> Yeah, I think they're in there. That can happen a lot with books too. I, I talk yeah. to a lot of parents who go, oh, my kids will not take a book recommendation for me at all. 
you know, from me at all. Like if it's like if mom brought this book home, then it's like they're not interested in it. Um, I think that can be, I mean, there's, there's some developmental stuff going on there, especially in the adolescent years that I wouldn't fight. Just like, let that go. But, <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't win all those battles. This is my the fourth other, kiddo. So I've learned a couple things. <laughs> yes, exactly. We tend to be more relaxed for a reason. That's yes. A few, uh, children. So the, the other thing I think is interesting there is that just like with choosing books, I think if we have only really engaged with our kids in a what happened in this story like uh you know if we're asking them those typical comprehension questions of what happened then they it feels like a quiz just like if you finished mm -hmm. a book and then you told your best friend about it and your best friend said okay I want she opens the book and starts going what's the name of the shopkeeper on fifth street you know that kind of thing <laughs> you're like oh my goodness why are you asking me this it's because you know it definitely sends the message of, I want, just want to know if you've read the book. So uh, I think it takes a little while for us to de-school that out of our kids mm -hmm. like, like, and ourselves. Yeah. Like, that's not the point here. The point is to have a conversation. I really want to know what you think and to develop uh -huh. a habit of asking questions. I love that. Yeah. That, in, that conversation, that interacting. A different thing that I saw with my earliest reader. So my kids obviously read at different ages, but the one that read the earliest, she was three. I was, she was my third I was ready to teach her phonics because now I finally figured out how to do it myself, how to actually engage it with my kids yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and she's whole word reading and she's reading a lot. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not how we're doing this. And then I realized, yeah, that is, she did it. It's done, but she's, <laughs> that is how she's doing this. <laughs> it's done. And then fast forward 15, 16 years. And she's like, I don't really want to read. So Okay, that surprised me. But then she picked up a book this summer. She's been doing this each summer. She gets a book that she thinks is going to be really good. And she's like, well, you know, can I tell you, mom, I don't actually really care if I want to really read it as much as I like the experience of bringing a book to the beach and hanging out with my big sun hat and my sunglasses and sitting there and just like opening it. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like she's actually a very intelligent very, um, yeah. you know, engaging person, very charming person, and very bright, and doesn't want to sit down and read the same kind of science books that my second daughter would, or the Latin textbook that my oldest daughter is reading in university, or the ancient history stuff that my fifth, or my fourth, no fifth, my fourth child is, <laughs> and that is not, it's not foreshadowing. And, you know, all sorts of things that my fifth, or, oh, my fourth is reading. Where's the wood? Okay. So I'm just not, I'm finding wood to not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, you're going to email me in a month with news. <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. Now I've lost my train of thought because I'm scared. I'm very, very scared. Well, <laughs> you were talking about how they all have different reading tastes and yeah, yeah, yeah. just wanted to bring her book to the beach a yeah. very smart kiddo but she wants the experience of reading a book and I'm like yeah. you know what can I validate that yes I can I think that's actually kind of cool that she just wants to be with a book just like I love going to a bookstore with a coffee totally and as a like a, a voracious adult reader yes me I too. am not always reading at the same what's the word like gusto or pace or something <laughs> like sometimes I'm I I'm insatiable with my reading I'm just reading every second I can and other times um I'm just it's just been harder to get into a book so I think having we can't expect our kids to have the same um non-stop 
elevated. Like I'm like that with very few things in my life where I'm right. I have no fluctuation in my zest for it. You know, exactly. There is that element too, where our kids might go through a phase where they're just not really into reading that much and we can get anxious about it, or we can just keep modeling our reading life and making our exactly. Home yeah. Good place. Yeah. My last favorite book was self-compassion book by Kristen Neff. I don't know and it's like the, the origin or the beginning discussions of self-compassion. And she's a researcher on self-compassion. It's a beautiful book. Everyone spoke that to me and I finally read it. Now I'm reading Think, Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty, another really remarkable book. And I would love to say that I've read Crime and Punishment because it's classic, right? Except my husband did read it and I don't want to read it. <laughs> I've tried. There's way too much stuff going on there, too much character content. And anyways, we all have our different preferences and that is okay. Yeah, it's good, actually. I mean, I think one of the things we all, I hear a lot of parents worrying about with kids is taste. Like my child only reads in one genre, let's say their kids only read fantasy and never read historical fiction or the opposite. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And but that's actually what adult readers do. Like I know yes. as an adult reader, I don't read horror because that is not my genre. Right. Not, I'm just yeah. not going to do it. Um, and so that's good for me to know when I go into a bookstore, <laughs> I'm going to avoid that section because I'm not going to find something I like there. And it's good for our kids to develop taste. No, there are some like strategies you can use when your kids are younger or I mean, actually when your kids are any age really to help them read outside of their genre, um, you know, like a bingo card, let's say that has, mm. you know, historical fiction or a book written by an author who lives in your state or, uh, you know, a fantasy novel or a book by, you know, you can kind of, that's fun. That would be a fun way to do it because wow. you're letting your kids still make the choice. Again, mm -hmm. I think the same thing where we want to give our kids the skills of adult readers and the skills of adult readers are that they, they do read with taste. They do have a specific reading taste. They also, um, are choosing their own books. Like, I don't know very many, any, I'll just say any, I don't know any adult readers who are asking constantly and getting an assigned book yes. <laughs> when they pick up a book, they're choosing their books. Um, and so giving our kids the skills to be able to choose books and to ditch books and to know when a book is going to be a good fit or not a good fit. Mm -hmm. um, these are all like how we help our kids become adult readers. I really love how you have reading lists on your website, but you're doing it in a way that helps that homeschool family choose books for them. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you can share a little bit about that, how that works. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've always resisted with reading lists, um, with our book list is that I'm always afraid someone will use it as a to-do list. Like, yeah. okay, now we're going to read through this, but I see them more as a menu. So like if you went to a restaurant for lunch, you wouldn't order everything on the menu. You would just like look through <laughs> and kind of go, okay, I'll do read this one and this one, and, you know, I'll, I'll eat this thing and this thing. And, and, um, and I think of book lists in that way that they're like a menu. So you can kind of look and see there's, let's say a book list for, um, ancient history. And you can look through this list and go, okay, which descriptions sound like they most appeal or mm -hmm. we have a series for kids who are in that in-between stage between where they're decoding and learning how to read before they're really good at reading before it's easy. There's like this, this funky little, it's not little, sometimes it's long um, period of time where they just need to read a lot of easy books so that they can get their feet under them. Cause when we yep. get good at something, it's enjoyable to do and yeah. it's easier. And so we have lists of that. So you can look at that, but not read through everything. Goodness, but you write just choosing it as a menu. And I think that's because this is one of the benefits of homeschooling. We all know 
but it's custom, right? The reason that we, we are yes, exactly. a huge piece of the reason a lot of us are doing this is because we didn't want our kids. They're not cookie cutter kids. And we know that, and we don't want uh-huh. to, there are no cookie cutter kids, but we don't want uh-huh. our kids going into that, you know, model of education where they might not be able to have a custom learning experience. But then we, as we know this, and then we also have to fight the anxiety of making sure we're doing it well enough. And so then we resort to listen curriculum that tell us how to do it. And I think there's this in-between space where we can go, okay, um, we have the opportunity to help our kids widen their reading palette by reading, you know, my, I have a daughter who the 18 year old for a while there, she was just reading fantasy. And so I would bring home a stack of historical fiction and say, pick three of these to read this school year. Like you can pick whatever ones you want. Again, we're like giving the skill of how to choose books because that's what adult readers do. Mm-hmm. But we're also like helping her widen her reading palette, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind yeah. of like, like ordering from a restaurant. Yeah. that. Yeah. So how do you do that? How do you encourage that then? You bring them home and show her like street. Yeah, there's a couple different ways you can do it. Um, I have oftentimes just brought home books from the library and put them in a yeah. basket and said, okay, pay or, and we'll pick which ones you want. And then I'll buy whichever ones she's going to want to read this year. So she can read them over the course of the school year. My son needed a little more constant handholding. Like I couldn't just say, read these this school year, like that by May 15th, he'd be like, <laughs> about starting. Right? right. So instead for him, I would, um, either give him like three books that I would bring him home from the library, or I would pull them up, you know, just on Amazon or whatever, so that they could read the, he could read the descriptions yeah. and then pick which one, which one do you want to read this month? And mm-hmm. at the end of the month, tell me when you're done and I'll take you out for a hamburger because hamburger. <laughs> <love> <laughs> so he would finish the book and then we'd go out for a hamburger and I would just ask, we'd try to have a conversation where I'd ask him, you know, like, so who was like, what surprised you about that book? You know, and a lot of the times I hadn't read it. So Um, But we had some really good conversations, I think, Mm -hmm. especially about the ones I hadn't read, probably partly because he knew I hadn't read them. So it didn't feel like a quiz. Right. Ah, yes. Um, But Jansen Bradshaw is a bookstagrammer, I know. And she um, I think what she does for her read alouds and I could be getting this wrong, but I've heard her say something like this when she's thinking about like what books to read aloud with her kids. She does something similar where she'll read the back flap of three different books and have her kids vote on it. Yeah, I do that. Okay. Uh-huh. Awesome. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's, again, that's giving our kids skills as adult readers, because isn't that what you and I do? We go into a bookstore and we're trying to find something to read on the plane. We yeah. go and we just read the back and then decide right. that's exactly what they, what we're helping them do as well. And you can find the most profound books that way, because yeah. I picked up a book on a lark when my three little girls were young and I barely ever got out without them. And I was on my own for an afternoon. I picked up a book on a lark. It was called The Homeschooling Option is Homeschooling Right for You. I picked it up with the intention of getting my arguments against homeschooling because everyone was doing it around me. And I was like, definitely, it is not right for me. And by the end of the week, I'm like, we're homeschooling. amazing a book is a powerful thing (laughs) yeah book is a powerful thing for sure actually I think somebody was asking about the most you know your favorite book and I it was in a context of something fun and light and I'm like actually my favorite book ever is man's search for meaning oh yeah (laughs) really light reading um, by Viktor Frankl (laughs) what's your favorite book I'd love to hear or can you say that or is that like saying which of my babies do I love oh no I have no problem naming favorites children or books on any given day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. I knew I would love you, but no, that's it. <laughs> it changes, right? Yeah, no, um, I love you. I love I love you just said that. That's hilarious. 
But uh, it's hard for me to pick just one. But at the moment, let's see. I already told you Miss Rumpheus was is my absolute favorite picture book. Probably Anne of Green Gables. Yes. Like if if I was pressed for fiction, that that would be one. My favorite homeschooling book, if I could just see how I'm cheating, I'm like giving myself different categories so I could name numerous books. Um, for <laughs> yes. the Children's Sake by Susan Schaefer Macaulay was probably oh, yeah. the book that formed me the most. It was one of the first books I ever read as a homeschooler on homeschooling. Oh, really? And it really made a difference um, in how I thought about education, like maybe yeah. turn education yeah. on its head for me. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. I think it was John Holt or John Taylor Gatto for me, but that one as well. And I would add that most people that are listening are probably going to say your book was as well. Now, this is a book we haven't spoken about. I can't believe I didn't bring it up, but Teaching from Rest. Yeah. So that is one I hear often quoted of this really brought me to a place of clarity or perspective in my homeschool. And that obviously was from from your perspective or you getting clarity. Yeah, thank you. Um, the interesting thing about that book, it really was just I was writing a book for myself. I didn't think it was going to be a book. It was actually it began oh. as a set of blog posts. But even before that, I was trying to write my way through. I had a 12 year old, a 10 year old, an eight year old, one year old and twin newborns. <laughs> and I had heard um a homeschool speaker say on a uh, lark said, if you could learn, if, if I could say anything to homeschoolers, I would say teach from a state of rest. And I thought, mm-hmm. that's make it like, what is that? Like, it does not <laughs> even exist. And like, I'm, there's nothing restful about what I'm doing here. But there is something about that idea that really intrigued me enough that I thought, well, what would it look like if we could? And then I realized we actually, this is, I think, the way we were made to do it. So let me think about mm-hmm. how we could, and just sort of writing the way through that. So, um, yeah, I don't think I could have, I could replicate that right now. Like, I, I wouldn't have been able to write that book today. I would have. I, it was definitely like the time and place uh, that I was sort of writing what I needed to read at that time. So it is really heartwarming for me to hear it has impacted so many other homeschoolers, and I think it speaks to that. Um, what's the word like of so many of us are experiencing the same things and struggling with the same thing. Zeitgeist. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, or exactly. yeah. 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 And so what would you say that you'd like homeschool moms to really hear from that book? The, the message that you'd like them to hear. Mm. Wow. I don't think anyone ever asked me that. Oh, I love that. I also love hearing yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I I don't know that this comes out specifically in the book. It's been a long time since I've read the book. Cause that would be, I don't know. Yeah. I don't read my, just, I guess I could, I just haven't in a long time um, is a confidence in your own, like God given intuition. And I think so much of the anxiety that I've experienced in homeschooling comes because I start second guessing my own ability to make good decisions for my kids. Yes. Um, and it's the, that feeling of like, am I enough? Am I doing enough? Mm-hmm. with this expectation that I don't even know what that means. Like if I was to finish that sentence, am I doing enough to like what, get my kids into college to like make it so they all are, say they're glad they were homeschooled. Like what is it exactly that I'm going for? It almost, we can tell that's kind of an absurd question. You know, once we try to like articulate what the rest of that sentence mm-hmm. means. So I think what I, I hope when people read teaching from rest is when they close the book, that they feel like more t- that they can trust their gut, that they were they're totally cut out for this, even on the days they don't feel like they are. 
Mm -hmm. And that their job is not to get a specific result. It's really to show up every day. Yes. Um, and that I think we'd shed a lot of our anxiety and we'd have a lot more rest if we realized that our what we're supposed to be doing is not trying to get a certain result. Like our kids are not projects. They're not a recipe. Like if we put all the right ingredients in, we're going to get what we want out of them. They're right. so much better bigger than that. There's so much more mm -hmm. at stake, but in a good way, like not in the, no. just in a burdensome way, but also in this really big, beautiful way. Um, I was recently talking to my friend Tish Oxenreiter. Mm. Um, and she also know her. Yes. I remember. Yes, Excellent. Okay. Yeah. So I was, happened to be in her town for a, a conference I was speaking at. So we had lunch and she was saying that something she's been thinking about lately. And I think maybe she was having a conversation with this, but with someone else, but I don't remember who she said is that mother as mothers, we tend to take too much of the credit and too much of the blame. Right. And I yes. thought, wow, that is really true. So when we see something, you know, I get a lot of compliments, like for example, on my oldest daughter, now she's 20 and she's just really articulate. She was just on the podcast and people are just like, oh, she's just amazing. You did an amazing job. And I, there's this weird insincerity part where I think like, because I think not from them, not insincere on the person's part, on my part where I feel like I have to make sure that they know it wasn't me, you know, like all <laughs> because it's just her like that's because she's so completely another human being. And sure, I was there to guide her and but it's not my job to mm -hmm. like make my kids come out a certain way. And all my kids are so different that I think once you have more than two, yeah. you realize like, <laughs> oh, it's all a lot less about me than I thought it was. <laughs> That's right. That's so true. So yeah. invest in the out or uh, invest in the process, not in the outcome. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. And then we can, the good news is then you can take your worth and, and recognize your worth as a homeschooling mom outside of, or as a, no, let me say that differently. You can take, recognize your worth as a human, as a woman, as a person outside of your role as a homeschooling mom, outside of the results that you get outside of whatever your, your kids decide to do with the rest of their lives, because uh, you will show up to do your work every day, regardless of what results you get. I love that. That is so beautiful. That is like right there. That's a reason to buy two books from after this podcast episode, because there's a reason why I keep hearing the same book over. There's yours and there's Ainsley Armand's and um, Julie, uh, yeah, Julie Bogart. Bogart and yeah. those are the ones I hear all the time teaching from rest. I mean, that's that it speaks right there. Your title right there. Beautiful. So we talked about nurturing your own reading life, but can I ask you something? when, <laughs> when should we be doing this? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yes, <laughs> when indeed, <laughs> um, a couple of things have worked for me. One is realizing there was at one point where I realized I was reading, but I was reading in bed before I went to sleep and I wasn't finding much time to read during the day. And therefore my kids never saw me read because they are not in my room right. at night when I'm, and um, there's something about that lip service we do when we tell our kids like reading is fun, reading is wonderful, reading is life-giving and they never see us read, you know, they can see right through that. So that modeling piece is important. Um, a couple of things that have helped me. One is that I make a rule for myself that I will read for 10 minutes in the middle of the day. So I pick a time of day. Usually this is a time of day where my kids are reading as well. Yeah. When I had toddlers, I would just like give them some toys on the ground next to me. So it wasn't like, or it could, this could happen at nap time. Um, 
we, oh, my, my last three really ditched their naps early. Oh, <laughs> And so I would just keep them really close on the ground with some toys or whatever. And yeah. my job was to read for 10 minutes, no matter what, like, I mean, obviously keeping everyone alive, it's not no matter what there, but as far as like, there's lawn, there's always clothes in the washer that need to be moved to the dryer. There's always the dishwasher needs to be started or a trash that needs to take out. These are all little tiny things that take like 60 seconds. And so I used to go, Oh, I'll do it in just a minute after I move the laundry from the washer to the dryer. But then you know what happens. You go in there and you recognize, you realize that the, the, toilet's disgusting. So you need to wipe it down and then the doorbell dings and the dog gets out. And then, you know, like there's one thing after another. And so mm-hmm. now the rule is that I read in the middle of the day for 10 minutes, no matter what, anything can wait for 10 minutes. That laundry will not get stinky <laughs> for an extra 10 minutes, but something happens where I'd say more than half of the time when my 10 minute timer goes up, I don't, I'm everything else feels less urgent. Now I can keep reading. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. It will depend on your season. I would say like, you know, be gentle with yourself because if you've got young babies or lots of kids or elderly parents, or, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe you work during the day, there's like a lot of different, your Mm -hmm. day is not going to look just like mine, but if you can find a little 10 minute pocket, I just realized I felt a lot better if I read for 10 minutes than if I, let's say scrolled Facebook or whatever for for Mm -hmm. 10 minutes. Yeah. The other piece is that, um, one thing I hear when I recommend people, especially homeschool moms read for 10 minutes in the middle of the day is they'll say, but I can't like remember what happened. So if I, if I read for 10 minutes in the middle of the day in a book and the next day I come back 10 minutes, I like, I forgot what already happened. And so there's a couple things going on here. One is that we, our brains actually have changed because of technology. And I'm not going to go on some rant about technology. We're using beautiful technology right now to have this conversation, Uh but it has changed the way our brains are wired. And so that if you, if it's been a while since you've read a longer narrative, it might take a little bit of like retraining your brain to hold on to a longer narrative. And you'll do this just by practicing. So what I would say is this happens to me quite frequently. We're all read for 10 minutes. And then I put my book down, I go about my day. And then the next day it's time for me to read again. And I'll read for 10, I'll go back and I can't remember what's happening. So just reread what you read yesterday. Uh So here's the thing. We have this tendency to think I need to finish the book. Like that's the goal. The goal is to finish the book. So we don't want to reread the part we already read because we feel like it's undoing something we did. But all the benefits of reading happen during the reading. They don't happen because you finished the book. They happen while you're reading. Whether you read three books or you read one doesn't actually really matter. It's the time. It's actually the time reading. So if we make it our goal to finish books, it's it's a weird goal. Like, I don't know if we can think of any other thing where we're like, I really want to, um, let's say spend more time in nature. And so then your goal is to get out of nature, right? Like that doesn't make any sense with reading. We'll say my goal is to read more. And so our goal is to finish books, which is like to get out of reading. Like it's just a weird thing that we do, right? Yes, I do. I hear other people say that. I'm like, no, we don't need to try and finish the book. We want to read the book. Yeah. 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 So it Unless we don't want to read the book, then we should put the book away and stop wasting our time. hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. <laughs> Anne Vogel at Modern Mrs. Darcy, she says, mm. and the What Should I Read Next podcast, she'll say that the number one hack, the number one thing you can do to improve your reading life is to quit books more quickly. Yes, I agree. So just say yeah. this isn't for me. And like you said, with um, it was Harry Potter. Like this is just yeah. isn't for me. I felt like that with Lord of the Rings for yeah. ever. And I still haven't read it. I read The Hobbit and love The Hobbit. I did too. Me oh, too. Yeah. It was so well read or written. Yeah. It, yes. Yes. <laughs> and also well read. Definitely books where I think this one just isn't for me. And even mm-hmm. if you see people raving about it on Bookstagram or something, you think, what is wrong? There's nothing wrong with you. You just have different tastes. Just didn't yes. find something else. 
Exactly. Um, I was actually surprised that the most recent fictional narrative that I picked up, I'm going to forget the authors or the title, but the author is Jodi Picoult, P-I-C-C-O-U-L-T. Yes. Uh-huh. I've never read from her before. I've seen her name a lot. And it's a pandemic narrative. <laughs> is it really? Apparently I'm ready. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I've only read one of hers. I can't remember which one it was. It was it kind of dark and heavy, I think, if I remember correctly. But I could be completely wrong. And sometimes I'm in the mood for that and sometimes I'm not. Yeah, definitely not dark and heavy. No, I'm not. I don't think I'm ever in the mood for that myself. Yeah. Yeah. But something science fiction, I can sometimes go for something or or um, spy, space time continuum stuff. Sometimes I get into that, oh, which is and uh, yeah, which I wouldn't have thought I would say. And I don't mean back to the future, although I was totally into that way back in the day because I thought I was going to marry Michael J. Fox. But <laughs> <laughs> alas, did you have you ever read um, Glitch by Laura Martin? No. Okay, you got to write this one down then. It okay. is actually yeah. a middle grade book, so it's for eight to 12. But I read it, loved it. Ooh. And then I had my, I gave it to my, well, then she was 19, my 20, now 20 year old, my 19 year old. And she read it, was like, this is one of the best. It's so good. I mean, you can okay. read it with your kids or you could just read it on your own. I read it on my own. Yeah, I think I will. And then I'll just leave it around and see how strewing is working for us today. I might yeah, add the strewing is a useful some content. of that time, um, space continuum kind of stuff going on without being like, Sci-fi is not usually my genre, but it's uh -huh. got some sci-fi elements in it, but not, I wouldn't call it a sci-fi. So I don't know. I'm sure she does, but I, I don't know. Give it a try. I'd yeah, I will. Thing. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Personal book, book list options or a personal book. Um, okay. I'll stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other thing I wanted to mention with reading, yeah. finding more time for reading is audiobooks can really help here. Um, for yourself. And I do tend to listen to audiobooks when I'm folding laundry or doing yes. the dishes. I just put my AirPods in my earbuds in. Um, when my kids were younger, I put like one, you know, one in so I could kind of hear what was going on. There was a period of time there where I had 12, 10, eight, and then three babies. And I wanted one time of day where I didn't need to be on. So from four 30 to five, I would make dinner every day and each big kid got a little baby and they could, do, <laughs> I mean, they were in the next room, but like they each were like on one baby. And that yeah. was a half an hour where I would listen to usually wow. podcasts, sometimes podcasts, sometimes audio. I think back then it was mostly podcasts because my um, attention span was definitely, it was again, there's wow. times and seasons. So you can yeah race there if you need to wait. So I think the real big picture lesson we can take from this is if you're going to have a lot of kids, you have to make sure that they're at the right ages so they can look after the babies. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when we were building this house, one of the builders had said to me, I never see you without earbuds or without earphones. And oh, went, interesting. Really? Yeah. Well, that might be because I'm trying to have quiet time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm reading a book, actually. <laughs> But the kids do know that I am unavailable right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Of course, we both listen to podcasts a lot. Yes. Is there anything that you would like to leave with or leave the listeners with a thought or something that you'd like to share with them about nourishing their own reading world or their children's? Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes we get into a trap where we feel like we should be reading more because it's good for our kids, because it's good for us. And that's true. Mm -hmm. It is good for sure. us, but that's maybe not the best thing that reading gives us. And so my 
like parting words encouragement would be to try to find something that's a page turner and Vogel's mm-hmm. website, a modern Mrs. Darcy might be a good place to go for this. Uh, or you can even just think back to what's a book that you just loved as a, a young person or a teenager, if you were a big reader or ask the person that you know, who reads a lot, like what's a page turner, trying to find something that will just draw you back into the sheer joy of it. Because I know as an adult rekindling that desire where I just can't wait to get back to my book. Like I can't wait to talk about this, whatever this thing is, whether it's whatever that our thing is during the day that we're doing um, any part of our, our school day. I just cannot wait until I get to go back to my book. That's something that is a special, it's like a, it's a joy that we can't, anticipate really how life-giving it is until we experience it. So I would, I would love to just like encourage you to fall back in love with reading just for the sake of reading, not because it makes you a better mom, not because it makes you a better homeschooler. It probably will, but that's not. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. (laughs) So Sarah, where do we find you online? Oh, readaloudrevival.com is the best place to find me. And you can also find that podcast in your podcast app. Um, We are about to release our first picture book at our new publishing house. And so if you want to find out more about that, that's at a little more beautiful.com. Um, or you can just text the word wax wing. That's all one word W a X W I N G to the number three, three, seven, seven, seven. Thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed chatting with you and come back anytime. Oh, this has been my favorite hour of the day today. So thanks so much for <laughs> the one of my favorite things about you is my giggle And now that I'm listening to myself talk with you, I realize we have similar giggles. So we got to keep this going. (laughs) (laughs) We totally do. (laughs) I can see it when I'm editing a podcast on the audiogram. I can see my voice go ding, 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 ding. I'm like, that's where I was laughing. (laughs) Thanks for joining me today. I'd love to hear your thoughts or questions. So head over to CapturingTheCharmLife.com and introduce yourself to me. If you're looking to enhance your homeschool community with other supportive, authentic moms who want to show up on purpose in their homeschools and lives, then you're invited to the Homeschool Mama Patreon support group. You can find that over at patreon.com slash homeschoolmamaselfcare. Until next week, I hope you and your homeschool kids can turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. You got this, girlfriend.